Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Well, it seems we just pushed away from the table and the meal is still digesting. There was a lot of buildup. And then it happened and suddenly Thanksgiving is over. There was a lot of work, a lot of planning, a lot of preparation and prayer and travel and all the rest that went into Thanksgiving. In fact, I read last week about a woman who went to the grocery store and was in the frozen section looking at the turkeys, trying to find one large enough for her whole family. She wasn't having success, and the stock boy came by, and she said, Excuse me, do, you, do these birds get any bigger? He said, No, ma'am, they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I read of another woman who called a hotline set up to help people prepare their Thanksgiving turkeys. I had no idea there was such a thing. Maybe there isn't anymore. Maybe that was yesteryears. But she called the hotline and asked them, can you tell me, she said to the operator, can you tell me how long it will take to prepare my turkey? And the operator on the other end of the line said, well, well you have to tell me, how, how much does your bird weigh? She said, I don't know. It's still running around outside. <laughs> <sighs> Thanksgiving lunch could be a while. <laughs> but that one reminds me of something said by a gentleman whose name you may recognize, David Letterman. He once shared, when I was a kid in Indiana, we thought it would be fun to get a turkey a year ahead of time and feed it for the following Thanksgiving. But by the time Thanksgiving came around, we sort of thought of the turkey as a pet. So we ate the dog. <laughs> Only kidding. <laughs> it was the cat. <laughs> Strange things go into Thanksgiving. And we in our family, we, we had a wonderful turkey that never had a mother. <laughs> Toe furkey or something along those lines. But it seems we just pushed away from the table. The meal is still digested. And it's over. Thanksgiving is gone. Makes me realize that there are two groups of people in the world. As I ponder and think about Thanksgiving, I realize there are only two groups. Now, you might expect that since we're in church, I would say, well, the two groups of people that we have in the world are the wicked and the righteous. That's what we would expect here. But no, that's not the two groups I'm thinking of, even though there may be some here who could give us some names of who belongs on which side of that line. Or you may say two groups in the world. Okay, well, you must be talking about the Republicans and the Democrats. No, I'm not talking about that either. Even though we hear about that, it seems, all the time anymore. Just two groups in the world. Well, maybe you'll say, maybe you're talking about the haves and the have-nots. After all, we hear a lot about that these days. Well, I'm not even talking about the haves and the have-nots. And in fact, on a university campus, I'm not even talking about the educated and the uneducated. None of those. But I still would affirm there are only two groups of people in the world. 
In fact, you can draw a fairly distinct line down the middle and know who belongs on which side. These two groups defy all other kinds of groupings. In other words, they're not respective of nation, tribe, language, kindred, tongue, or people. They're not respective of, of, of whether or not you happen to be a man or a woman, whether or not you happen to have socioeconomic status that is high or low, or any other marker by which we tend to identify people. The two groups of people I'm talking about are simply this the grateful and the ungrateful. And the line of distinction that runs down the middle dividing them is whether or not they can with heartfelt emotion say thank you. The grateful and the ungrateful. Now Thanksgiving Day, Thanksgiving season, we all kind of join one side of that line, don't we? We're all ready to say, I'm part of the grateful. But then we push away from the table, we take a nap and wake up, and it's church. It's already two days past. Thanksgiving is over for another year. Or is it? Now, the Bible has a lot to say about thanksgiving and gratitude or the lack thereof. In fact, the Bible tells stories, gives examples of people who fit into both categories. The Bible talks about people who are ungrateful. The Bible even talks about the grateful, and imagine this, even commands us to give thanks. It's a directive in the Bible. Now, we can understand that, any of us who either remember our own childhood or who have been parents, because there's something we heard said to us, something we repeated to our kids in the attempt to teach them to be grateful. You know how it happens. You're there with your child, and somebody does something kind or nice for your child. And the person is standing there, and you look down at your child, and you say, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say to the nice man? What do you say to the kind woman? You're wanting to prompt them, to teach them, to help them to learn to be grateful. The Bible does that sort of thing. In fact, we could go to quite a range of passages to find such. I'm going to go to one today in the New Testament in the writings of the Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to read a very brief paragraph. Now, Paul is in the section of this letter where he is giving brief and punchy and pregnant phrases of direction to his Thessalonian readers. He's telling them, because you are disciples of Jesus, because you follow him, this is how you are to live your lives. And he does it in this context. He's going to give directions, which I want to suggest to you, that the passage we read today is for mature audiences only. Mature audiences only. You'll understand when we read it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16, says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's for mature audiences only. 
I first thought of it that way because I heard my predecessor, Dr. William Lovelace, one day quote St. Augustine saying that gratitude is the mature emotion. You must have a certain level of emotional and spiritual maturity to be grateful. But I find that true in everything that Paul says in these verses. He says, rejoice always. Only the mature can do that. Pray continually. That's for mature people only. Give thanks in all circumstances. It is certainly not the immature who can do that. It's for mature audiences only. Now, I want you to notice words are important, especially sometimes little words. Notice that Paul does not say, give thanks for all circumstances. Rather, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Thanksgiving is past. And then I come to Paul and I read that I ought to be expressing gratitude, appreciation, and thanksgiving as a routine of my daily life, whatever the circumstances are that I face. And that's challenging, quite honestly. That's not easy for me to consider doing. I wonder, in fact, what that would look like if somebody were to live a life that was characterized by that kind of attitude, what would it look like? It could be that it would look like Ed Dobson. Ed Dobson was a senior pastor of a mega church and stepped down. He was facing something very grave, something very grim. Ed Dobson had been diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, a degenerative disease that had a certain end. And he was now wrestling and grappling in his own life, not only with the pain and the difficulty of what he was facing, but also with a finite future. He was also wrestling with commands like this one, give thanks in all circumstances. How am I supposed to do that? He asked. And I'm asking, what would that look like if somebody did it? In 2012, Dobson wrote a bit about what he was facing, and I want to read you his words. He says, There are many things for which I am not grateful. I can no longer button the buttons on my shirt. I can no longer put on a heavy jacket. I can no longer raise my right hand above my head. I can no longer write. I can no longer eat with my right hand. I eat with my left hand, and now even that is becoming a challenge. And over time, all of these challenges will get worse and worse. So what in the world do I have to be grateful for? So much, he says. Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. Lord, thank you that I can turn over in my bed. Lord, thank you that I can still get out of bed. Lord, thank you that I can walk to the bathroom. Lord, thank you that I can still brush my teeth. Lord, thank you that I can still eat breakfast. Lord, thank you that I can still dress myself. Lord, thank you that I can still drive my car. Lord, thank you that I can still walk. Lord, thank you that I can still talk. And the list goes on and on. I have learned in my journey with ALS to focus on what I can do, not on what I can't do. I have learned to be grateful for the small things in my life and for the many things I can still 
do. I want to be honest with you. When I read Dobson's words, I think, I don't know how in the world I would ever have that kind of emotional and spiritual maturity to follow a passage that's for mature audiences only to follow it by looking at all the circumstances of life and realizing that some are truly bad and evil, and yet there are still some good ones, and I will thank God for the good ones, is truly a wonder to me. But maybe that's what it looks like. Maybe that's what it looks like when somebody's Thanksgiving is not a day but a way of living life. I read Paul's words, in all circumstances, give thanks. And I wonder, well, what would it look like to do that? Maybe it looks like Ed Dobson. Or maybe it looks like another gentleman. He's going gray. He's a little bit stooped. But we can see him as we watch He's on the eastern coast of Florida. It's late afternoon on a Friday. He is slowly making his way toward a broken-down pier. He carries in his hand a large bucket. We will soon learn that it's a large bucket filled with shrimp. As he gets closer and closer to the broken-down pier, the seagulls begin to gather. They fly all around above him, calling out their cries, almost deafening sound, because they've learned over the years what this means. This man is coming to feed them, stooped, graying, but faithful. This man's name is Eddie. Eddie, though if we had been able to speak to him, we would want to speak to him with a proper degree of respect. We would have called him Captain Eddie Rickenbacker. You see, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker had been part of a crew on a B-17 bomber in 1942. World War II was raging. Captain Rickenbacker and his crew were winging their way toward New Guinea. They were winging their way toward a meeting with General Douglas MacArthur. But then somewhere over the vastness that is the South Pacific, they had wandered off course. And as they got off course, they finally lost radio contact. And in their attempts to try to reestablish radio contact to figure out where they were, they watched that fuel gauge indicator slowly go dry. Crash landed in the ocean. Biggest raft they had was nine by five feet. The biggest sharks they saw were ten feet long that would ram their crafts they quickly discovered they had many enemies, such as the scorching sun that blazed overhead, the raging thirst that was only slaked when the rains fell. But they soon learned that maybe their fiercest opponent was hunger, soon to become starvation. How would they survive? I want to read to you an incident that then took place, and I want to read it in Captain Eddie's words. 
Cherry, he says. Cherry was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry. Describing this moment, he says, Cherry read the service that afternoon, and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. <laughs> Imagine that, singing a hymn of praise, Lost in the Pacific. There was some talk, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out some of the glare, I dozed off. And then something landed on my head. I knew it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew. I just knew. Everyone else knew too. No one said a word, but peering out from under my hat brim without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at that gull. That gull meant food. If I could catch it. Now I read to you the words of the author, Paul Arant, as he described what happens next. And the rest, says Arant, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the gull. Its flesh was eaten. Its intestines were used for bait to catch fish. The survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because a lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, offered itself as a sacrifice. You know now that Captain Eddie made it because of the seagull. But now you also know, writes Arant, that Captain Eddie never forgot. Because every Friday evening about sunset, until his death in 1973, on a lonely stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, you could see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent. His bucket filled with shrimp was to feed the gulls, to remember that one gull which on a day long past, gave itself without struggle like manna in the wilderness. Decades later, still feeding the gulls as a way of saying thank you. Maybe that's what it looks like to read Paul's dictum, his directive to the Thessalonian believers, in all circumstances, give thanks. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. Maybe that's what it looks like. An old man who never forgets and who says, despite the fact it is decades ago, there's no relationship between the two, I will do something that expresses my gratitude. I read this passage, and I think it's for mature audiences only. The immature need not attempt. There is a depth expressed in this kind of life, and it makes me wonder, what does it look like when people live this out? Well, maybe it looks like William Steiger. William Steiger was seated in a cafe that morning so many years ago. It was the very early 1930s. Steiger was seated there with several of his friends around a table. They were talking. They were struggling. The world was caught in a stranglehold of depression. They talked about what was happening around them. 
Rich people whose riches were gone leaping to their deaths. The joblessness rates that just continued to climb. People not knowing where their next meal was coming from. Things were truly grim and they were bemoaning the reality that they faced. When one of them spoke up, he was a minister. He spoke up and he said, you've got to help me. Here in a couple of weeks, I'm supposed to be preaching a Thanksgiving sermon. What in the world am I going to say? I have nothing to say. Look at our country. What can I possibly say? Steiger said, it was in that moment that I'm convinced that the Spirit of God gave me a thought, placed a thought in my mind. It was very simple. Here was the thought, he said, just like that it came to me. In the midst of all the dire circumstances, the terrible situation, just say thank you to someone who has blessed your life. Just say thank you. So Steiger took that thought in. He thought, that's what I'll do. As he thought about it, an image came to mind. It was a teacher from many years before. He realized that she was the one who, through her teaching, had woven into the fabric of his life a love for English verse, a love for poetry, a love for English literature. So Steiger that day sat down and wrote a letter to this teacher from so many years before. He said it was mere days He had an answer back. He opened it, and the letter said, My dear Willie, and by the way, he said, When I read that, my heart was warmed. I was in my mid-50s, had been bald for years. Nobody called me Willie anymore. He said, I read, My dear Willie, I can't tell you how much your note meant to me. I'm in my 80s, living alone in a small room, cooking my own meals, lonely, and like the last leaf of autumn, lingering behind. Then listen to this sentence. You'll be interested to know that I taught in school for more than 50 years, and yours is the first note of appreciation I ever received. It came on a blue, cold morning, and it cheered me as nothing has done in many years. Steiger says, I'm not sentimental. But I found myself weeping over that note. It stirred his thinking. And then he thought of a bishop who had been very gracious, very kind, very wise in his counsel, had offered him his love and support many years before as Steiger was getting started in life. And so he sat down and he penned a letter to the bishop saying, thank you so much for the influence you've had on my life. Again, A few days later, another letter. It said, My dear Will, your letter was so beautiful, so real, that as I sat reading it in my study, tears fell from my eyes, tears of gratitude. Before I realized what I was doing, I rose from my chair and I called her name to share it with her, forgetting that she's gone now. You'll never know how much your letter has warmed my spirit. I have been walking around in the glow of your letter all day long. The depression. The preacher. What am I going to say? 
And Steiger says, thank you. Just thank you to people who have influenced and blessed my life. And I come today reading, reading Paul's words to the Thessalonians where Paul says, in all circumstances, give thanks. And I think, how can you do that? And what would that even look like? If somebody were to take that seriously, how would they live it? Well, there are those who do take it seriously in the very grim and difficult circumstances of life. But then there are others who take it seriously, who have experienced blessing. One such person is a Hollywood star, a Hollywood A-lister, in fact, who just about two years ago, November of 2015, in speaking, are you ready for this, out of Hollywood, speaking to a church group, said the following, Give thanks for blessings every day. Every day. Embrace gratitude. Encourage others. It is impossible to be grateful and hateful at the same time. I pray that you put your slippers way under your bed at night so that when you wake in the morning, you have to start on your knees to find them. And while you're down there, say thank you. A bad attitude is like a flat tire. Until you change it, you're not going anywhere. Denzel Washington. What is his line? A bad attitude is like a flat tire. Until you change it, you're not going anywhere. So there you have it from, from the most dire of circumstances to the most blessed of situations. And everywhere in between, people living out the reality of Paul's words, in all things, all circumstances, give thanks. It just underlines for me there are two groups of people in the world. Just two. Those who are grateful and those who are ungrateful. Just two groups of people in the world. Those who celebrate Thanksgiving Day and those who celebrate Thanksgiving life. Two groups of people. Those who push away from the table and digest the food and say, well, that's done for another year. And those who push away from the table and say, this coming year is going to be a year when I will live a grateful life. I will take the apostle seriously in what he says, no matter what may come. I will hide my slippers deep under my bed so that every morning I'm on my knees and while I'm down there, I'm saying thank you, God. When you leave this service, Send a text, send an email, make a phone call. Say thank you to a neighbor, to a roommate, to a colleague, to a friend. Say thank you to your family. Look them in the eyes and say, you have made my life worth living. And say thank you to God. Kneel before Jesus and say, Jesus, it is because of you. Because of your grace, were it not for grace, who knows where I would be. But because of your grace, I am here. Though life may be difficult or easy, I am experiencing the blessings of your hand. Say thank you. Don't just live Thanksgiving Day. Live Thanksgiving Way. I read Paul's words and I wonder, what would that look like? 
You know what? I think we can provide the answer to that. We can, through this coming week, this coming month, this coming year, become a community that consistently expresses gratitude to one another and to God. That's what it will look like. Give thanks in all circumstances, says Paul, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I guess there's just one question left. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? Amen. God of grace, that comes from the heart. Thank you for your love, your grace, your blessings. Thank you for your presence in our sorrows and struggles. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.